I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Waiting for you in the next hour, it's a band whose lead singer contributed dating advice to a book called Sex Tips from Rockstars. It's a man who moved from Miami to Los Angeles all because of Shaquille O'Neal. And an illustrator and memoirist whose therapist once told her, Nicole, your mother's a turnip. She's never going to be a sweet potato no matter what you do or how good you are. She'll always be a turnip. It's, it's... the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. It's Livewire with calling Dr. Laura, graphic memoirist Nicole Georges, former NBA power forward and Parkinson's advocate Brian Grant, and music from the Dandy Warhols, all coming up on Livewire. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. You've also got comedy from Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to, and music from our house band, led by the incomparable Mr. Ralph Huntley. All right, in just a bit, uh, we are going to talk to Nicole Georges. She's an illustrator and memoirist whose personal life got so complicated that she decided the only person who could help her was Dr. Laura of the Dr. Laura Talk Radio Advice Show. So she called her, and coming up, we're going to hear how that conversation went. Spoiler alert, not great. It, uh, it might sound nutty to some of you that a person would forge such a connection with a person that they only know kind of via their radio, but I completely get it. Since I was a little kid growing up in Seattle, I have been obsessed with talk radio. Um, the obsession started when I was about eight years old and I learned about how babies were made. And I was one of seven kids, so I knew my parents were doing this disgusting thing together a lot. And I did not want to overhear it happening. My understanding, by the way, was basically that adults started having sex the moment it got dark out and discontinued until it was light again. <laughs> It's like roughly 8 to 12 hours of coitus, depending on the time of year. Um, so I would lie in bed, and I would blast this little clock radio that I had 
next to my bed, trying to drown out this like Caligula-esque bacchanal that I assumed was going on just down the hall. And I, I became totally obsessed with these radio personalities that I would listen to in the middle of the night. I would like drift off to sleep listening to Larry King or this guy named Bruce Williams who had a financial advice show that made zero sense to my eight-year-old brain. But it was like soothing. My biggest obsession though was um, with Casey Kasem, American Top 40. And I was totally obsessed with the long distance dedications. Even though it was like basically the same thing every single week. It was always like, Dear Casey, I had a love and lost them. He was everything to me, but on the night of December 14th, 1986, he was killed in a car accident. He lives now only in my memories, Casey. To help me hold on to those memories, could you please play? And by the way, this was the best part with that. The song they would request never had any relationship with the tragedy that had motivated the requesting of the song. Could you please play Pour Some Sugar on Me by Def Leppard? Radio is this sort of antiquated but also kind of amazing medium that lets someone in a room across the country whisper right into your ear. And these days, a lot of it seems to have devolved into like political hot talk shouting matches and mindless pop music created, it would seem, by some evil North Korean computer program. And yet, there are those moments, those moments when radio manages to reach out and touch you right where you are. We're going to try to make some of that radio right now. At the very least, it will work for drowning out the sounds of lovemaking. Thank you. Believe it or not, next year will be the 20th anniversary of the birth of the Dandy Warhols. The Portland rock band who first gained national attention for, among other things, a song, Bohemian Like You, back in 2001 in the 90s. They were known around Portland for their nudity-tinged, wall-of-sound, psychedelic rock shows. In the early 2000s, after signing with Capitol Records, the band played shows and collaborated with the likes of David Bowie, and Mark Knopfler. They've released a total of eight albums, and this year is the 13th anniversary of the release of their breakthrough album, 13 Tales from Urban Bohemia. To celebrate that fact, they recently took to Portland streets over two days to play 13 songs in 13 locations around Portland. In May, they start a national tour of the U.S. and Canada, where they'll be playing the album in its entirety. Please welcome the Dandy Warhols to Livewire.
The Dandy Warhols, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, guys. They'll be back in a bit. Oh, hey, Carol. Oh, Bob. Hey, sweetie. How are you doing? Good. Ready to do a little singing, though, you know? Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for coming. So we're just going to be singing some standards for our stock library. Did your agents tell you about the usage rights and get you the sheet music and all that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's all good. Thanks. Okay, cool. Well, we're just waiting for one more singer, and then we'll get going. Just hold tight. Okay, thanks. Cool. Say, so, do you know who the third guy is? Yeah, I guess his name is Nigel something. Oh, what? You mean Nigel Cummings? I think he sang on Wolfsnake's tour last year. Wolfsnake, huh? I yeah. never heard of him. Yeah, they're kind of making a comeback. I think they were in Tokyo last week, or... Oh, so, hello. Sorry I'm late. I spent what seemed like a fortnight in the loo. Hello, my name's Nigel Cummings. Hi, I'm Bob. Uh, Carol, nice to meet you. Hello, it's a pleasure. Carol, I must say, that jacket is mustard. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, looks like we're all here. Uh, you must be Nigel. Yeah, that's right. Hello. Uh, uh, these are my headphones. My, the cord's quite spirally. Huh? Uh, Nigel, I don't mean any offense, but that's a really thick accent you have there. I, I know your credentials are impeccable, but do you think you'll be able to tone it down in recording? Oh, no, 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 no. Once I start singing, the dialect goes away, see? Yeah. No, no, no yeah, yeah. Okay. See, look, it's like this rock and roll accent, you know, it's universal. You know, like when you listen to the Beatles, it's not like they sound all Liverpooly, right? Yeah, no, it's universal. Don't worry about it. It's just, whew, gone. Don't worry about it. Um, great. Okay, well, we're just going to be doing a little sampler song to see what we're working with here. On sheet one, why don't we have Carol, uh, you sing the first line, and then Nigel, you pick up on the second. And Bob, let's have you come in on the third one, okay? Sure. You all got right. it. Okay. You got it. Okay, and we're rolling. You're as cold as ice You're willing to sacrifice our love Sounding great, Carol. Okay, Nigel, coming up here. You never take advice Someday you'll pay the price, oh no uh, Okay, um, hold on, I, I gotta stop you there. Uh, Nigel, I thought you said you were going to lose the accent there, no, buddy. No, it sounds great, mate. On playback, it sounds normal. Uh, doesn't seem very likely, but uh, sure, why not? Let's listen back to it. You never take your voice, but someday you'll pay the price on those. Uh, okay, I, it sounds even worse on playback. Oh. All right, well, look, the phrasing on that song's a little bit weird. Maybe we just, you know... Okay, well, uh, I guess we can try the next one. Really, just really try to tone down that accent, okay, buddy? Uh, let's go Carol and Bob and then Nigel. Okay? And we're rolling. Well, dogs cry out in the night as they grow restless, longing for some solitary company. I know that I must do what's right. As sure as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti. I seek to cure what's deep inside. Frightened of this thing that I've become. Go 
Did you? Did you? All right, just play it back. Um, Come on, play it back. All right. I seek to shag this right bird from Sussex. Scrubbers, tarts, and Welshmen go to hell. Okay, Nigel, uh, your accent is somehow changing the actual words of the song. Bollocks. It's It's really noticeable. Now, play it more. It gets better, all right? Just play a little bit more. All right, this it, boys. All right. Got a lot of No, call. Oh, don't suit, master. Just, Nigel, I mean, it's not working out, okay? All right, you go down to Sentinel Studios where Wolf Snake is currently recording their next Smash It album, and you tell them that you are a better singer than me and see if they don't punch you in your stupid faces, all right? Did Wolf Snake give you a pair of custom knickers with your faces embroidered on the bum, huh? Did they take you to see Made in Manhattan starring Jennifer Lopez, eh? Look, as long as there's a hole in my butt, Wolf Snake will love me and not you, all right? So you can take your... Okay, your Nigel, okay, okay, I think we've had enough for today. Thank you all. That, that will... I'm through! Oh, my goodness. Wow. Oh, hey, Larry, what's all that about? We had some British guy in here singing for the stock library. His accent was insane. British guy. Hey, did you put the delay on it? You have to compensate for the shift of the Nyquist frequency when you're this far out of phase with GMT. What? Yeah, here you gotta tweak this here. Uh, yeah, you gotta do that for these British guys. Hey, there you go. Let's listen to this. You never take advice. Someday you'll pay the price, I know. I'm walking around. Okay, somebody go get him back in here. That was Andrew Harris, Jason Rouse, Sean McGrath, Laura Faye Smith, and Jonathan Newsom. You're listening to Livewire, the radio show that's dying to tell you about how much our gluten-free diet has really changed our lives. And wait, why are you running away with a cartoon puff of smoke behind you? Um, come back, because there's still more uh, fun on Livewire, including Zinester Nicole George's NBA All-Star turned Parkinson's activist Brian Grant, and more from the Dandy Warhols. We will be right back. Grant started his career in the NBA as a first-round pick for the Sacramento Kings in 1994. 
During his 12-year pro career, Brian established himself as a tenacious rebounder and physical post player for the Portland Trailblazers, the Los Angeles Lakers, Phoenix Suns, and the Miami Heat. In 2008, two years after his retirement from professional basketball, Brian was diagnosed with young-onset Parkinson's disease at age 36. Since then, the Brian Grant Foundation has established itself as one of the most visible and vocal advocate organizations helping Parkinson's patients lead healthy and fulfilling lives. On April 27th, Brian will be a speaker at this year's TEDx Portland event. But first, he'll be talking to us. Please welcome Brian Grant to Livewire. Brian Grant, welcome to Livewire. Thanks for having me. We tried to get you the most comically small chair available. I, I wasn't sure it was going to hold me for a second. so I was I'm still not sure. You're yeah. still a big guy. It turns out when you leave the NBA, you don't get shorter. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> not yet. I have, was always such a fan of your playing style. I, you, you seem to be a guy who had his own thing going on on the court, whether it was your your tattoos or your hair. You were one of the first guys I remember to have that long hair going. You were just tenacious out there. And you were obviously a physical specimen. You know, you're playing this game that... <laughs> Not sure if you remember that, but your number was 44. Changed a couple of times, but yeah, 44 is my best number. So... What was the first indication for you that something was changing about your body and that something was going wrong? It would have to be in 2006 when I was playing for the Phoenix Suns. I started to realize that I couldn't jump off my left leg as well. I was more uncoordinated, but at that point it was my 12th year and I just figured it was just physical uh, damage that I had done to my knee. Uh, but I later found out it was Parkinson's. And it, it goes from being a persistent problem to a problem that you think I need to go see the doctor about? I mean, when did it start to really progress for you? Well, it started off in the form of depression. And most Parkinson's patients, that's usually the indicator. I went through like nine months of deep depression. And then after that, I had a small skin tremor in my left wrist. Then it went into my fingers, and then the whole hand started to tremor. And at that point, I moved from Miami because I figured maybe if I went back to Portland, where it was nice and clean air and <laughs> everything, maybe... maybe Maybe that would help me out. Um, not that Miami's not clean, but I've always loved Portland. And uh, it didn't go away. So at that point, I went to uh, OHSU and saw the neurologist, and he told me I had Parkinson's. What, what goes through your mind when, when you get that kind of news, and particularly because you're a guy, again, who's been so physically gifted throughout your life? Well, I think it's tougher for... Well, it's tough for anybody who gets this uh, diagnosis, but for me, I've always been so used to when something goes wrong, go see the doctor, get a surgery, give you know a pill to take for the pain or, or something anti-inflammatory, but this was something that wasn't going to go away, and it, I had to take some time to kind of wrap my mind around it and kind of forget about the athlete. Now it's Brian Grant, the person who's living with Parkinson's. And what is that, um, what's that look like for you on a sort of daily basis? What, what kind of medication do you take? And also, is there physical, I mean, does your time as an athlete help you in the physical therapy aspect of it? I, I believe that I've progressed relatively slow because I was an athlete. I was having sim symptoms in 2006, and it's 2013 now. 
and I just recently started medication. It's not working too good, but, um, <laughs> you know, I just recently started, and it's, it's kind of like a trial period. You know, you're, you're adding something, subtracting something, and just trying to find that right mix that, that works for you because each and every Parkinson's patient is different. No two are the same. Has it been difficult for you to be comfortable being out in public when you have your bodies acting differently now? You know, not here in Portland. I mean, Portland, you know, they, they accept me for whatever's going on. And, um, but I will tell you, last summer we went on spring break and we went on a cruise with uh, another family. And that was the most uncomfortable I think I'd ever been because in Portland, most people recognize me as one of the retired Blazers. But being in New Orleans and on a, on a cruise ship, nobody really knows who you are. And it, it, it became uncomfortable just because I was out of my comfort zone. But as a Parkinson's patient, that's the one thing we need to do is come out of our comfort zone and live with the disease and not hide from you know, society with the disease. Uh, have you been able to... Have you been able to try to bring that message to other people who maybe aren't famous and really inspire them because it's like, wow, I don't feel great about going to my job at the carpet warehouse when I have, you know, a tremor. This is this guy as an NBA star and he's walking around dealing with the same thing. Well, I like to look at my NBA career as the beginning point of, you know, what was in store for my life. It was the platform or the catapult that you know, kind of shot me into the position to be able to help other people. Um, you know, when you get this disease, the disease isn't the only problem. You still have to be a father, you know, a husband or a boyfriend, fiance, whatever. Um, you still have to take care of your animals. I mean, life goes on. And um, I see a lot of people who get this disease and they just shut down and close up. And they wait for that cure that may never come for us. So what we're trying to do is encourage people to get up and take an active role in not your recoverment, but at least being able to extend you know, the way that you're going to be able to live the next 20, 30 years, hopefully. Um, is it, uh, how common is uh, early onset Parkinson's, this is the thing that you have? Well, there's about 400,000 people in this country that suffer from young onset Parkinson's. When they say young onset, it means 60 years or younger. But, um, you know, we've seen the numbers go up each and every year since I've been diagnosed. So that tells us that, you know, if it's not hereditary, it's definitely environmental. Where do you feel like the science is moving on this in terms of, I mean, does it feel to you, because obviously you're looking at this very closely now, it affects you so personally. Do you feel like strides are being made? Do you feel like enough attention is being paid to it? Uh, you know, I, I've kind of got mixed feelings towards that because um, there, I think there are people out there outside of the U.S. who are really experimenting with stem cells and things like that that, may end up finding a cure, but, you know, sometimes as a patient, you tend to wonder if they really want to find one because, you know, it's, it's, it's a big business than being sick, whether you're having PD, cancer, you know, any other type of disease. Um, are you able to, like, play basketball with your kids still? If you're actively doing something, do the tremors subside? No, they're there, and um, the reason I can't play with them has nothing to do with the Parkinson's. It's these bad knees. So. <laughs> yeah. You got a lot of problems, buddy. <laughs> <You ain't lying. laughs> 
So what, what would you like, for all the people that are going to be hearing this, what's, what's something you'd like to really convey to people as a way they can help, an awareness that they can have, and also a way they can treat somebody who has Parkinson and who is manifesting tremors? What, what should people be doing? The one thing, the last thing I think that any person dealing with Parkinson's disease or any disease of, as it comes to that, you just don't want to be treated differently, differently and don't want to be pitied. You know, we want to be able to stand up tall and be proud of who we are, regardless if we got this partner called Parkinson's following us around everywhere we go. Because just because the mind's going bad and you're losing control of the body doesn't mean that you're losing control of yourself or who you really are. So that's the biggest thing. It This is uh, probably a dumb question, um, probably not the last one I'll ask before the show is over. Is being in the NBA as freaking awesome as it seems like it would be? It is, especially the, the years that I played, I ended up, you know, I had the opportunity to play with a great team like Arbitus Sabonis, Scottie Pippen, Damon Stoudemire, Rashid Wallace, Jimmy Jackson, J.R. Ryder. And Jermaine O'Neal, I mean, it was just, we were just a stacked team. And unfortunately, in 2000, we just couldn't get it done. (laughs) We tried, we tried, but. You were one of these guys who just seemed to want to get to the ball more than other players. You know what I mean? If it was you and another player, and you were both going after the same ball, or you were trying to take it to the hole or whatever, you would get it there so often, you'd get the ball, and it seemed like you wanted it more. Is, Is that a thing? I mean, that... Learning from a young age that, like, there's going to be a lot of times when there's something really hard, like getting past this other tall athletic guy to try to get this basketball, and all the time you spend in the gym as a kid and sweating and doing the unfun parts of being a high-level basketball player, is that stuff that you think has been good training for this next phase for you? I think so. Just having to, uh, I mean, many games, I'm not the only player that dealt with it, but nights where you just don't know how you're going to get it done. And you've just played two games in three nights. You have another game coming up. Your knees are swollen. You know, you get these deep muscle bruises in your knees and in your thighs. And um, you just somehow find it within yourself to be able to go out there and perform. Maybe you don't perform it to your best, but you still go out there and get up and down the court. And I think just that discipline and all the, you know, regiments, physical regiments that we've gone through have definitely helped me with dealing with Parkinson's. I hear you. We tape like two shows in a row sometimes here. It's killer. It's like hot tea the whole next day. Brian Grant, thank you for coming on Livewire. Brian Grant is the founder of the Bryant Grant Foundation dedicated to Parkinson's education and awareness. If you're in the Portland area on April 27th, Brian will be speaking at the 2013 TEDx Portland Conference. More information at TEDxPortland.com. If you're just joining us on C-SPAN Radio, we're in the middle of closing arguments in the case of Anna Gutierrez versus the state of Florida. Ms. Gutierrez stands accused of criminal assault of a protected species. 
We go live now as defense attorney Jack Brigance delivers his closing statement. Your Honor, members of the jury, you've just heard from the prosecuting attorney. Called my client despicable, amoral, reprehensible. But is despicable, amoral, and reprehensible behavior illegal? No. No, it's not. So therefore, I ask you, should my client go to prison for riding a manatee? The answer again is no. And yes, my client did wave a cowboy hat in the air and yell, Yeehaw! during that manatee ride. But if that is a crime, then let's stand on trial the entire state of Texas. And sure, you may say that mounting a herbivorous marine mammal might not be normal or appropriate. But let me ask you this. Who here is completely and unabashedly normal? I use dish soap in the shower. I find it gives me a deep clean and a fresh lemony scent. Is it normal? No. But should I be put in jail and have someone throw away the key for the rest of my life? Well, God save us. I find baloney erotic. Is that normal? I named my German shepherd mom. I voted for mustard in the last election. I wear a big foam finger when I sleep. Are these things normal? Perhaps, perhaps not. Elton John scares me. My toes curve upward like an elf shoe. I never developed object permanence. And sometimes when I'm feeling sad, I paint little faces on my bare knees and do a ventriloquism act in a full-length mirror. Is any of that normal? No. But it is not illegal. My client stands before you repentant and embarrassed. She rode a manatee. Someone took a picture, whoop-de-doo. But she is no more a criminal today than she was when she rode that plowshare tortoise, those pygmy three-toed sloths, or the Okinawan spiny rat. And that, that, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is why you must find her innocent of a crime. Thank you. Sean McGrath and Laura Faye Smith. Livewire is brought to you in part by Ergo Depot. We'd like to ask you how long you've been working on that thing, you know, the thing, it's due Tuesday. You've been working on it for like a billion hours already. And seriously, Tammy in marketing is like zero help. What is with Tammy? Anyway, your shoulder feels like it's about to secede from the union of your body. Well, Ergo Depot, they can't help you with the Tammy situation, but their ergonomic sit-stand office furniture is designed to promote circulation and reduce cramps. More information can be found at Ergo depot.com. Our next guest is a writer, illustrator, and pet portraitist who will happily draw your dog's face on a paper doily for the right price. After publishing zines for 14 years and teaching self-publishing classes, 
Nicole Georges has written and illustrated Calling Dr. Laura, a new graphic memoir. The book is mostly about her family, the unraveling of the story of her biological father, her strained relationship with her mother, and how she finally came out to her mother. Also, Nicole's inexplicable affinity for a certain angry radio advice host. Maybe she can explain all of this in just a moment when we bring her to the stage. Please welcome Nicole Georges to Livewire. Nicole Georges, welcome to Livewire. Thanks for having me. It's cool to be here. So I just got done reading this graphic memoir of yours, and uh, first of all, it's really, I think it's incredibly well done. It's, it's a really fun read, and it's interesting because I don't read a lot of graphic uh, memoir, but I was amazed at how much you're able to convey in a single picture. It's almost like it's worth a thousand words. Almost. But I mean, really, like, I, it, you told so much, uh, you told such a story in a sort of relatively small amount of time. Um, do you find the drawn word better than the written word for you? It's weird. I think about it as being easier and faster to convey things with pictures as opposed to writing. Like, if I want to show uh, what a whole room of people are wearing, what their faces look like, I could just draw that in one panel instead of having to write a long thing about every person. But then in practice, drawing takes so long. This book took me about five years, and I'm sure if it was written, it would have taken me a fraction of that time. Um, a big crux of the, of the book is your relationship with your mother and also this story of your father, who you believed was dead. I did. I thought he was dead my whole life until my friend took me to a palm reader on Hawthorne Street in my early 20s, and within five minutes, the palm reader said, oh, you should talk to your dad more often. And I said, oh, well, I can't because he's dead. And she said, maybe the man you think is your father is dead, but your real father is very much alive. I do not like to hear evidence that palm readers know what they're doing. <laughs> well, lots of other things were wrong if that makes you feel better. I feel a lot better. So she did get some things wrong. She told me I was going to get married when I was 26. And then when I was 25 and a half, I was like, why do I feel such anxiety about this? Why do I like a clock over my head? And I was like, oh, the palm reader said I was going to get married this year. God, I haven't even gotten engaged. Um, that. She said I was going to marry a very rich man, but I was flaming homosexual. And, um, yeah. and she said I was going to have three pregnancies but only two children, which is a drag. Hasn't happened yet, but... She was just throwing anything against the wall and seeing what stuck. She was, yeah. And, then and she, weirdly, the father's not dead thing stuck. Yeah. She got it. So what was the story there? Well, there, there's the story as my family told it to me, and then there's maybe a different reality. But um, the story was that he was a con man who my mom was in love with, and then it got old. And so she left him. Uh, and she was kind of ashamed that she had been with a con man, so she thought it would be better if she just wrote him out of my life entirely. So she said he had colon cancer, and he died when I was a year and a half, which is pretty specific. And uh, she just went with it, and she made my sisters go with it and my extended family, and they just rolled with that until I said, hey, uh, is my dad really dead? Because the palm reader. Now, there wasn't anything that tipped you off before the palm reader? Well, when the palm reader said it, it made a lot of sense. But before that, I hadn't ever put the pieces of the puzzle together. Like, I've always felt adopted. 
I look different than everyone in my family. Everyone has always acted kind of secretive around me. And I thought maybe I just had something wrong with me that nobody was saying, you know. We were like, I think I'm sane and normal, but everyone's acting so weird. Maybe I'm not. Uh, it turned out it was because of this giant secret they were all keeping. Uh, no one ever mentioned my dad ever, and um, yeah. So how did it finally, post-Palm Reader, how did it come to light? It took me a couple of years because I was so freaked out, and I asked my sister. I had a beer, and I asked my sister. I tried to make it sound casual. Hey, is my dad really alive? And she was less casual. She broke down crying and was like, I'm so sorry. It's true. He's alive. And, you know, don't hate me. And I just, I had never even thought of hating her. And I, I yeah, that was it. I assume the next thing you did was called your mother and said, what the hell? Of course not. Um, well, <laughs> I figured my mom had so much invested in the secret. and She had tried so hard to keep it for so long. And knowing the kind of person she is, I knew if I came to her with this information, I wasn't going to get any hardcore nurturing or um, she wasn't going to say she was sorry. You lay out in the book this kind of wheel of fury that is dealing with your mother. Yes. Which was very recognizable to me. Really? Based <laughs> Not my mother, thankfully, but people I've known. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like there was no good option for you about trying to talk about this with your mom. I couldn't think of a good option, and I couldn't think of a good reason to tell her, except for the secret that I now carried, which is that I knew, was eating me alive. So that's why I finally end up telling her that I know. But before that, right, you decided to place a call to a different older gal? Yeah, a different older kind of severe gal named Dr. Laura Schlesinger, who gives tough love advice to people, not anymore on 1190 AM, but... Now on Sirius Satellite Radio. How on earth did you, a, a tattooed gay woman in Portland, get into the whole Dr. Laura vibe? Well, I just, you know, I, it turned out I just, I would listen to it when I was doing tedious things like sewing. And sometimes I would be like, good. But uh, then I started to like it. I started to like when she yelled at people. Um, I love, I like tough love. I don't like namby-pamby advice. And uh, I started to like it. And I always thought, gosh, I wish I had a question for Dr. Laura. (laughs) And then one day I just did. My mom was basically stalking me because I wouldn't tell her if I was coming home for Christmas or not because I had this secret. And I was like, what should I do? Should I go home for Christmas or not? And so um, that was the moment where I thought, oh, I have a reason to call Dr. Laura. I'm going to do it. And then I got on the air. It was so easy. Is it? It was easy for me. I got right through. I meant to give a fake name. But I didn't. At the last minute, I freaked and I was like, my name's Nicole. I'm 23. You know what? Actually, you transcribed this call and we have a trained Dr. Laura surrogate here who is going to come out. (laughs) This is years and years of of study. And we're going to have you guys reenact the actual phone call. This is word for word what happened, right? I taped it. This is it. I'm Dr. Laura Schlesinger. Nicole, welcome to the program. Hi, Dr. Laura. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. I had a question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I found out this year from my, that my mom's been lying to me about my family being dead, my father being dead. Okay, He's actually slow alive. Slow down. And... Slow down. All right. And do you have brothers or sisters or half so? I have two sisters, but they have a different father. Well, from you or from each other? 
From me. They have the same father. Okay. Are they older than you? Yes, 10 and 12 years. Uh-huh. So she was married to that guy? Yes. Was she married to your bio dad? Yes. And how long was she married to your bio dad? I think two or three years. And what happened? Um, I think he was, from what I know, he was sort of a con man, and she eventually kicked him out to be with someone else. So she sort of dumped him for another guy and warned my sisters not to ever tell me, and that the new story you, was I don't want to know that part yet. Okay. Because I know you think that's so important. Okay. And why, I'll never understand, but okay. So she got rid of the con man. After this, I ratted out my mom for shacking up. I sang like a canary, as I often do under pressure. I turn into a colander for all the grimace-inducing secrets I know. Anything I can think of will just fall out of my mouth. You're mad at her. Let me ask you another question. When she got rid of your bio, Dad, did she move you out of the country, out of the state, out of the city? No, she... Okay, that's all. So, if anyone knew her at the time, they'd know where to find her, and, well, she didn't move, right? She was in the same town. Yeah. And she didn't throw him out till you were two, right? I think I was one and a half or two, yeah. So no matter what she told anybody she was going to tell you, he knew you were alive and he didn't even contact you. Go ahead. I want to hear the rest of your story now while you're so mad. Oh, well, the other small part of him finding me is that she moved out of state a couple years later and changed my last name. Okay. Did you hear me ask all those questions? I did, but I was trying to stay in the same year we were talking about, and I'm not angry with her right now. I'm just confused about what I should do. To summarize the rest of the call, I told Dr. Laura the whole story. She acted hostile toward me and told me that though my name had been changed and I had been transported to another state, my father could still find me if he wanted to, so I was probably better off. And basically, I should appreciate the stability of my family life today instead of dredging up the past and f***ing it all up. That was the gist. Also, did I mention that I started crying like a baby about two minutes into the call? Because I did. You can control how much destruction that information will ultimately cause you by how you handle today. That's true. Oh, okay, thanks. So go have Christmas. Oh, okay. You suffered enough. Go have Christmas. I also kept trying to hang up when Dr. Laura offered long silences in which to reflect on the gravity of her words. I would ruin the moment by blurting out a, Thanks, Dr. Laura, before being snapped back into submission. Laura Faye Smith, Nicole Georges. Her new book is called Calling Dr. Laura. Thank you so much for being on Livewire. Thank you. Now, this is our most popular high-definition TV, Samsung 55-inch LED 1080p with four HDMI inputs and a dynamic range of 16. All right, how much? Always on sale, always $11.50. But I've got something the other box stores won't show you. The future. Can I show you the future? Yeah, yeah, all right. Check it out. This is the Dalsa Origin Cinegold XL Sigma, handmade in Laos. Always on sale, always $78,000. 10K resolution with a dynamic range bordering on pi to the 11th power. I know. 
What's 10K? I mean, I keep hearing those numbers, 2K, 4K, 6K. What, what does the K stand for? It refers to the horizontal resolution. Your eye can only really see the resolution at 4K. Well, so this one's 10K. Well, why would I get something I can't even detect? Well, your eyes won't see it, but your mind will. All right. Uh, is it on? Oh, yeah. Tell me what you see. I see some sort of a flicker. Uh-huh. That's it. Your human eyes are not yet able to properly process these images. Right now, Ashton Kutcher is being hilarious. And later on, your brain will tell you so. Usually while you're showering. Okay. How is this good? Because it's the most advanced technology. If you had this TV and you had the eyes of a fly, but they were human-sized, you'd never leave the house. Right, but, but how is this good for me now? It's the best, doy. <laughs> Fine, let's just, let's just move on. Uh, this is the Americo 7D Ultra. 7D, is that like 3D only better? Yeah, it's 4D better. Well, where is it? You're looking right at it. I don't... Okay, do I need special 7D glasses no, to no, see No, no, no. It? <clears throat> okay, it, it, it's the seventh dimension, okay? Are, are you familiar with string theory? No, I am most certainly not. Okay, basically this television is functioning on five of the seven compact dimensional planes, in addition to our four known space-time dimensions. Okay, is that why I don't see it? Precisely. Within the dimensional shift, Battle of the Network Stars never went off the air. Oh, really? Well, how much is that one? Well, since this is a multi-dimensional purchase, we use the currency of the sixth dimension, so it's going to be 40,000 barklarks. Can I use my visa? Of course. Can I get miles? Yeah, about 600,000. Any restrictions? Just the curvature of the space-time continuum and black holes. All right, yeah, I, I think I prefer something smaller, something I can see and enjoy. I've got just the thing. Which one? This. You're actually standing in it. Huh? This is the Floron Electra Dimensional, the first television that puts you in the show. I'm on TV? You're not on TV. You're in the TV. It uses the Euclidean algorithm for quadrac surfaces. While we were chatting, you and I were shrunk down and digitally inserted into the Floron Electra via the HDMI cord. You, sir, are now Blu-ray compatible. I don't want to be that. I want something I can see and understand right now, okay, in real time, in my own dimension. And I don't want to have to be inside of and have to act in it. Okay, you say that now, but in two years, it'll be eight years ago. And then, and then where will you be? Oh, I don't know. This is too overwhelming. Can't I just get a radio? Come on, sir. Nobody listens to the radio. Accurate and hurtful from Sean McGrath and Andrew Harris. Livewire is sponsored in part by Whole Foods Markets, where you can get organic chicken and exotic starches like quinoa and risotto, but also natural cleaning products for when you accidentally drop your exotic starches like quinoa and risotto. Whole Foods has a comprehensive eco-scale rating system, which lets you know at a glance what's in the products that you're cleaning with to help keep the earth clean. More information can be found at WholeFoodsMarket.com. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. And now it's time for some questions and answers from our audience. Science, pop culture, relationship advice. You got questions. We have terrible, poorly researched answers, which aren't getting better based on the amount of beer we've been having backstage. Our live audience has written down queries and sent them to the stage, and now they will be answered enthusiastically. But, and we stress this in a non-legally binding way, in a segment we call Dear Livewire. All right, our first guest is uh, Sean McGrath. All right, Jeff writes, Why are there so many strip clubs in Portland? Well, the answer, Jeff, is easy. It's because everyone who lives here has a BA in English, and they got to work somewhere. <laughs> Laura Faye Smith. Okay, Marge asks, where? Marge, I'm glad you asked. Um, it's by that place um, that has that thing that, that's got all that stuff on it, made by that guy whose face is all kind of, right? Like he just is having, you know, kind of that feeling, him. And he's friends with that, that chick who always wears that outfit because she has that job, right? Okay, so not there. Near there, not there, but not kitty corner or perpendicular to that, but kind of juxtaposed to all that. Like if you, you drove and then you just kept driving and driving and you passed all the stuff and you thought, oh, yeah? Okay, so just past all that, not behind that, but like behind, behind that, there. The still incredibly tall Brian Grant from your Portland Trailblazers. The question is from Joseph. Here, let me, let me help you. There you go. Uh, the question is from Joseph. Why don't some people like dogs, especially French bulldogs? <laughs> I happen to love bulldogs. I just lost my, bull, my American bulldog of 11 years this past summer. But I do have a problem with one dog, a love-hate relationship, and that's my fiance's black Lassapu diva. <laughs> and the reason I have a problem with this dog is... When she first came in the house, I was okay. But when we went to bed, I noticed that the dog sleeps in the bed. But she doesn't just sleep in the bed. She sleeps under the covers between my fiance's legs. So let me tell you, I woke up in the middle of the light without realizing it and reached over. And, ah! So that's why I don't like that dog. All right, and one more, by the way. Thanks for listening to the show. Brian Grant can't catch a break. Right here, live from the Alberta Rose Theater. And uh, we have Nicole Georges next. Why can't you tickle yourself? Because that would be gross. Are you going to sit home tickling yourself? And you're probably sick of yourself anyway. That's why. Nicole Georges, Brian Grant, Sean McGrath, and Laura Faye Smith. Tonight's Dear Live Wire was brought to you by the New Belgium Brewing, who present Beer School. The country of Belgium is known for waffles, Belgians, and European land wars. Belgian brewers are known for their playful approach to beer making, incorporating unusual ingredients and recipes in order to create intriguing, unexpected new blends. In that spirit, New Belgium Brewery is rolling out their new Roly Boly Season Ale, flavored with monk fruit and soursop. They had, they had a hit song in the 1960s, by the way, Monk Fruit and Soursop. Look that up. That's a true fact that I just made up. Anyway, more real information can be found at newbelgium.com. All right, folks, we have the Dandy Warhols coming back out here right about now. 
Ladies and gentlemen, once again, please welcome to Livewire the Dandy Warhols.
That's the Andy Warhols, ladies and gentlemen. All right, that is our show. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming out and listening. This has been LiveWire. Our thanks to our guests, Nicole Georges, Brian Grant, and the Dandy Warhols. Our house band is Ralph Huntley, Jim Brunberg, and Dave Jorgensen. This show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Burgerville. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the Oregon Cultural Trust, and listeners just like you find people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is also produced by Courtney Hawmeister and Jim Brunberg. Faces for Radio Theater are writer-performers Sean McGrath and Andrew Harris and performers Lori Ferraro and Laura Faye Smith. Our head writer is Courtney Hawmeister, with additional show writers Jason Rouse and Scott Poole. Our guest writer of this show was Andrew Harris. Sound effects and direction by Jason Rouse. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom, with house sound by Graham Nystrom. Stage management by Mark Bausch. Our show theme is written by our house band and Courtney Vondrelli. Photography by Jenny Baker. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit livewireradio.org or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.